Again, that's not one of those feel-good phrases. Why are we talking about weapons and how they hurt us? It's one of those, this is a reality. We live in a world where there are weapons, and weapons can hurt us. And so we need to talk about it. It's like when you join the Army and you go through boot camp, guess what? You don't just run around. You learn about battle. You learn about, hey, if this happens and you're out here, this is how you put a tourniquet on your buddy, right? This is how you can stop bleeding. This is how you can administer morphine because when somebody uses their weapon against you, it hurts. And so I thought it was really brilliant. During World War II, they had really kind of um, understood the battlefield and medics and things like that. And they would just even give the sergeants, some of the captains, these like little, they looked almost like, you know when you get crazy glue, how it's like a little metal um, tiny tube and you put, you put the lid on it and it kind of punctures it and then you're able to use the crazy glue. It's kind of one-time use because that crazy glue stuff just dries up really hard, right? Well, what they did is they had something similar to that but very small and when you would screw on the cap and it would puncture through, it had a little needle on the end of it. And so they would be able to keep those in their pockets. Of course, they had a cap on it. You could pull the cap off, screw it down tight, stick the needle in your buddy, and just squish the end of it and administer morphine. So it was a quick way that they could have pain relief. Why do we need pain relief when we're wounded? Because pain changes us. We say things and we do things when we're in pain that we don't normally do because pain does something not only to the area where you're experiencing pain, but it does something in your brain. And so relief from pain is something that, as humans, we want. Now, we often think about physical pain, but I believe that emotional pain and spiritual pain can be just as painful, right? It can be just as strong. I think in some ways it's worse. I've gone to different doctors before, and they maybe had to do something in the office, and I just sit still, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, most people are yelling by now. Most people are, and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I want to sit still and get it over with, right? But they, they, like, let's say they give you a shot. They put that shot in there, they pull it out, the pain goes away. Whereas if you give me emotional pain, the pain doesn't go away instantly like that, does it? Now, let's say it's something real quick, like you start to say something and, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else, and you find out, oh, that, that, them calling me that word wasn't for me, right? <laughs> then it might be quicker, right? It might be a little bit more of an instant relief, but most of the time the emotional pain is meant, right? It, it's a weapon coming against us. It does hurt, and so it doesn't go away. So in those cases, I think the emotional pain can be worse than the physical pain because it doesn't just stop as soon as the event is over. So we've been looking at how the weapons of our warfare, right, in the world hurt us, and we being body, soul, and spirit, there's different types of ways we're wounded by weapons. A lot of times the wounds we receive are, come from ourselves. A lot of times the wounds to our body, because we're not in a, in a war-like environment where the wounds that we have are from battle, but rather maybe from the choices we make that we do with our body. Now, the wounds in the spirit, a lot of times those come from the demonic. And a lot of times the wounds to our soul can either be from ourselves, but most likely they're from people we know. 
we love, like friends and family and the people around us. So the big question is, okay, Mary, you've been talking about this for a long time. We know that we live in a place, in a world, in a society where we're going to be wounded. What do we do about it? That's the big thing. What do we do about it? It's, it's fine to know this is going to happen, but if there's no solution to it, then it's like, ah, oh, ignorance is bliss. I wish I wouldn't have even known if there's no solution. Well, of course, with God, there's always, there's always a way of escape. There's always a solution. So for our body, when it's wounds that we are inflicting on ourselves, and again, sometimes it's, well, I'm going to go parachuting without, I'm going to jump out of a plane without a parachute. And then I wonder when I break my leg why I did that, right? You know, why? Well, what could I have done different? Well, I could have made different actions. I could have made different choices. So when we have wounds to our body, that requires obviously some self-control or some wisdom or some different decisions or different habits to create. When we are wounded spiritually and we know it's something demonic, maybe when we were younger, we got involved with a witchcraft group and you know somebody cursed a, uh, a pendant and said, you know, this is now makes you part of the group, and if you ever leave us, then, then you're going to be cursed, and you'll never be able to have children, let's say. I've heard of people that will be part of groups, and they'll put those types of curses on the people. So then they'll come to me, and they'll be like, well, I know I've got this spiritual curse on me, and I'll say, do you have anything that they gave you, right? Well, I've got this pendant. Well, let's, like, burn it. Let's throw it away. Let's, let's get it out of your house. Let's, you make a decision right now that I'm cutting off any association with this pendant. So that would be one way, an action you could take in the spirit realm. But most of the time, when you know it's a demonic attack, it's simply just denouncing it. It's saying, in the name of Jesus, demon, you must go. Satan, you must go. I give you no more authority or right here. And so the spiritual is our words, using the name of Jesus, cutting things off. Most of the time, our body the wounds there, that what we need to do is change our actions, change where we're getting ourselves into. But our soul, the one that gets wounded most likely by the people around us, that's much harder because a lot of times you can't get away from the person who's wounding you. Let's say it's a spouse or let's say it's a work environment or it's a friend or a family member or a neighbor and you're like, Mary, like every time I go out to, to put my garbage out, the neighbor calls me bad names and, and it upsets me emotionally, right? Those are wounds that are harder to say, like, I know I can just do X, Y, and Z, and this isn't going to happen anymore. Now, some cases you can put up some boundaries and get yourself out of that situation, but the answer isn't to run away from every single human that is on the face of the earth, right? Sometimes... We have to say, what is happening when they say these things? Is it triggering maybe some childhood trauma, right? Is, it, is there a reason why when they do this, it hurts? Now, if it's something very obvious, because what they're doing is like so outrageous it would hurt anyone, well, that's one thing. But if it's something that is only hurting you in particular, you might have to say, okay, I'm going to go and get some counsel, some pastoral counsel to find out why does this hurt so bad. But the one thing we can control, no matter if it's meant to hurt us or if it's some, for some reason it's hurting you in particular, the one thing that we can respond with and control is our reactions and our responses to the wounding. 
Now, you would think, why is my response going to change it? If I'm wounded, I'm wounded. Well, let me ask you a question. If I got burned, is my response going to change how quickly the burn heals? Is my action, though, to that going to change it? Yes. So if I don't do anything and I let it get infected, then that is going to take a lot longer to heal. But if I put some cool water on it right away, I remember my mom got burned, and the first thing that she did was she ran into the shower and turned on the cold water. She had fallen down onto the open oven, so her whole shoulder got burned. And so she, because she had turned around to go put something away, and she passed out. She fell backwards on the open oven. And so the first thing she did was she ran into the bathroom and turned on the cold water and stood in the shower and just let that cold water run on her back. And then after she felt like it finally cooled down, she took a towel, right, got it really cold, put it on her back, drove to the emergency room. They said that that, right, that number one, it felt better, but it calmed everything down instantly. And then she had to get special treatment there. If she said, oh, nope, I'm not going to the ER, it's just a burn, what am I going to, you know, I'll just do it, deal with it myself, it would have changed the healing time. So when we are wounded in our soul, we can either add more fuel to that burn, right, and more fuel to that fire that's happening in our soul, or we can put on some cold water and try to douse it right away. Now, it doesn't always work, but our responses can sometimes help us to feel better or calm the situation down. So what are some responses that we should have when somebody is wounding us and one of the things that we know the Bible talks about is this Holy Spirit that we receive when we accept Jesus. Jesus was really clear when he talked about it in John, and at the end he said, I must go so the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit came so we can have peace, so we can walk in peace. And some of those things that the Holy Spirit gives us, the fruits of having the Holy Spirit in our life, are joy, peace, love, humility, right? Gentleness, kindness, self-control. Some of those fruits of the Spirit sometimes will help us in our responses. But it's hard. I wanted to read in Genesis a story of a time when it was really hard to have a good response or a good reaction and how a person was wounded in the soul by people that he loved. And if you're not familiar with the story, it's the story of Joseph. I know I've mentioned before about when we were talking about dreams, how Joseph interpreted some different dreams. But let's look back at the beginning when he first started having his dreams and how it caused emotional wounding by those around him. In Genesis chapter 37, it says that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. And there's a whole list of all the different brothers that I'm not going to list. Now, Israel, which is Jacob, that's his name got changed to Israel, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. 
Now, what's going on here? First of all, the brothers have been emotionally wounded because their father, who they love and want attention from, is giving attention to somebody else. So sometimes we're wounded because the actions of somebody else, they're not giving you the love or the attention that you believe that you deserve. Now, they could respond with the fruits of the Spirit and say, I'm going to be kind even though I hate you, right? (laughs) Even though I'm frustrated, even though I'm jealous, even though I'm envious, or I can not be kind. They chose not to be kind. It says that Joseph, because it says they right, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So that's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, right? They could not be kind. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So what was going on here? They are being wounded as a result of their jealousy, as a result of somebody else being lifted up and them believing that somebody who's younger than them, which in their society the younger person would serve the older person, would rule over them and they would have to serve the younger. So these are emotional wounds. Now, emotional wounds happen to every single person that lives on planet Earth. You cannot get up out of bed and make it through the week without interacting with somebody. Right, Unless you're living in a bunker and you're all by yourself and you don't need to get any groceries and whatever, right? The majority of us are going to interact with at least one person once a week. And when you interact with other people, they're human, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to say something that wounds you or their situation is better than your situation that causes jealousy or whatever. There's going to be something there that causes an emotional wound, or maybe we call it triggers, right, where it reminds you of something in your childhood, and it causes some sort of distress. The question is, will you be like Joseph's brothers and react with hatred or something opposite of the fruits of the Spirit? So it gets worse. It's not just he knew he was hated. They begin to take their emotions of hate, their thoughts of hate, and they begin to have actions of hate. The Bible is very clear. One of the Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, so is he. What does that mean? Your thoughts come first, then it comes out of your mouth as words, and the next thing you know, you're doing it. Think about that. I mean, that's like the whole premise of like positive thinking or when we say, oh, think, you know, faith, right? It's something positive. It works for positive, right? I want you to, you know, to know 
that you are saved and that God loves you. So now I want you to think it. I want you to know it, right? I want you to say and profess that Jesus is Lord. And then now I want you, right, then to walk it out. It's the same thing like with healing. I want to first teach you that God heals. And then after you think it, I want you to say the next time you're sick, in the name of Jesus, I am healed, right? Then I want that action to follow. We do these things with positive things. We do it with little kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? We get the kids thinking about it. When they finally come to us and say, I want to become a teacher, we say, okay, and we teach them the path of when you graduate high school, this is the college you'll go to, and this is the, you'll get the certificate, and then you go get a job, and you become a teacher. So this premise of think it, say it, do it works with the positive, but the premise of think it, say it, do it works with the negative. This is why the Bible doesn't want us to gossip or to speak ill of somebody. This is why when Jesus was questioned about different things, he says, if you even think in your head, right, that your brother is an idiot, or if you say this, then it becomes words, then it's the same as murdering him. Why would Jesus say that? I remember him saying in one of the things, if you even think about lustful thoughts about a woman, you've just committed adultery. Why would he say that? Thinking about the woman, right, who walks by you at the beach in her bikini, right, and, and you think, whew, for a second, and then, oh, I'm married, I shouldn't think that, right? It's the same thing. Why was he saying that? Now, now we're not going to go to hell even if we did sin, right, because we believe in Jesus and we're going to heaven because we're saved because of what Jesus did. But why is he equating the thought of doing that or the words of calling somebody an idiot the same as murder, or the thought of lust being the same as adultery. Because he understands the principle that humans go through. First you think it, then you say it, then you do it. And so he's trying to teach the people, don't even go there with your thoughts. If you start to have a thought of lust, end it right in that second. Say, nope, I'm married, I don't even want to think that. Because if you continue to entertain those thoughts then you begin to think of a way, well, how could I make this happen? Then you begin going over and talking to the woman, and the next thing you know, you're going to be following the act. Why is he saying, don't even call somebody an idiot? Because now I've thought they're an idiot, I'm calling them that. The next time they really make me mad, right, especially in that culture, they would lash out and hit and kill and murder. And so we know that this process of positive is the same process of negative. So when somebody wounds you, most of us complain. Most of us think about how horrible this person is or how could they do this or how we are wounded, and that is where our focus is. One of my favorite passages is in Philippians chapter 4, starting in about 6 to 9. I, li I like verse 4, 5, and 6, though, too. And in that passage, though, what Paul is saying to people is he says, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think on those things, and then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will come upon you. What is he saying? In this world, if you read through the whole passage, you're going to have problems. But when you have the problem, are you going to think on something positive, or are you going to focus on the problem? And he says, look, you're going to need to pray. You know you've got a problem. Bring it to God. But then after you pray, focus on the positive. Because if we just focus on the negative, then the wounding gets worse. 
it's kind of like I remember going to the ER one time with a, with a person and they had taken a chainsaw and they had cut into their leg. And so they had to clean it all out and then they stitched it all together and then they wrapped it up tight and then there was like a follow-up appointment three days. Guess what they said? They said, don't unwrap that. Don't open it up. Don't look at it. Don't do anything until you go see that doctor in three days. Just leave it alone. Why? Because if you would have opened it up and poked at it, you're going to introduce new bacteria into it. You're going to cause all these problems. They wanted you to wrap it up and basically forget about it. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it, touch it until you can see somebody to look at it. And it's kind of the same thing. Are we wounded? Absolutely. Do I need to pray and give it to God? Absolutely. But in some cases, I don't need to dwell on it. I don't need to talk about it to everybody. There's time to talk about things and process things, but I don't need to process it with the lady at the grocery store and my neighbor and my husband and a friend and, you know, the ladies at the whatever, pinnacle club, you know, right? Like at some point, you have to say, okay, I went to the, to like, right, when you, when you cut your leg. I went to the ER, the nurse looked at it, the doctor looked at it, they wrapped it up, now I'm going to leave it for a while. So, look, this thing happened to me. I'm going to talk to my husband about it. I'm, okay, this, this thing that happened to me is related to finances. I have a friend who's an accountant. I'm going to talk to him about it. And then I'm going to leave it for a while until I know how the situation is going to resolve. Why? Because I don't want my focus to be on this situation and on this negative thing and let this wound then begin to fester and have new things introduced. And if you don't believe me that talking about things introduces new things, then all of your friends must keep their mouth shut when you come to them with a problem. But my friends don't, right? And all of them anyway. You can't, oh, can, can you believe this? This thing happened to me the other day. Well, you shouldn't let that happen. This is what I would have said to them. And, you know, and I bet they're, they're going to go do this, and you better watch out now because now this is going to happen. And blah, blah, blah. What? Introducing new bacteria to my wound. And now what hurt now hurts two times as worse because now I'm thinking of all the other worst things that they just told me could happen. And then I turn around and call my aunt, right, in Mexico, which I don't have an aunt in Mexico, but I'm just saying, aunt wherever, and I tell her, and all of a sudden she's like, wow, you know what I think is going on, and blah, blah, blah. Now I hang up with her, now i got five more things introduced to my infection. And now i got five more things to think about. So that's one of the reasons why it's like, when you have an emotional wound... Do you need to take care of it? Yes. Some cases, it's something that you know, this person's just like this. I'm not going to take it personal. I'm not going to deal with this. And it hurt, but you're going to just leave it because you know, okay, they bumped me, and there might be a little bruise, but there's not anything I need to deal with. In other chances, it might be something big, but you have to ask yourself, who am I going to go to with this and why? Are they going to bring healing to this, or are they going to make it worse? So in Joseph's case, his brothers did not react with the fruit of the Spirit. They had no self-control. They had no kindness. They only had hate in their heart. They were wounded, and their response was going to be hate. They were jealous. That's how it ends here in verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shemek. And Israel, Joseph, or Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks. Come, I'm going to go send you to them. Very well, he said. 
So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and their flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent Joseph off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shemek, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go on to Donath. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Donath. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. I remember what Jesus said. He said, if you're calling your brother an idiot, you're going to end up killing him. Well, guess what? They had been calling him names, had been angry, and now their words are turning into actions. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this so he could come back and rescue him and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him after all. He is our brother and our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is of your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animals have devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the guard, the captain of the guard. Now, we see that their emotional wounds caused them to do something, to hurt physically somebody else. And their actions then, in turn, caused emotional distress and pain to their brother. When we react to our emotional distress and let it then continue on and cause a ripple effect by all the different people it can affect. We, we suffer from the wounds, and we end up wounding others. I often say, when you get wounded, don't let your blood, right, 
hurt others. Or if you are sick, don't, let your, don't vomit on somebody else. And that's sometimes what happens to us emotionally, is these wounds cause us to bleed on other people and cause us to have this reaction, cause us to then you know, vomit on them or get sick on them. But what we want to do instead is to turn to God. Now, does that mean that every emotional distress is, is equal? Absolutely not. Some things are big. Some things you do need to talk to more than one person about. Some things you need to get help with. Some things take time to heal. What we see happening to Joseph is many years go by before he sees his brothers again. Now, when he sees his brothers again, he responds with the fruits of the Spirit. He's kind to them. He's gentle to them. He is loving to them. He ends up saving them from a famine. And he's in a position of power where he could have done what they did and said, I want these men killed. Because at that point, his brothers are reunited with him. Joseph is now second in command, and they literally bow down to him because he is the head Egyptian that is going to decide whether or not they can take some food back to their families. But Joseph didn't respond with hate in his heart. Now, we don't know if the day after he was sold into slavery and had been whipped and put into chains, if he had hate in his heart or if he had love in his heart. We don't see that. But we do know that enough time had gone by that he was able to respond in love when he did see them. So in some cases, we do need time to heal. Just like if you broke your leg, you would need time for it to heal. But we do know when we do respond, we can respond with love. Now in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus tells us how to treat people who wound us. He says in verse 44 of chapter 5, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? Like, Jesus, you want me to pray for them? You want me to love them? I thought it was interesting. I was looking up some different verses, and most of you may, be, may or may not be familiar with um, the story of Job. But Job was a man who had some emotional, big, horrible things happen. He lost all of his cattle, lost all of his camels, and lost his children. Everything was taken away, stolen, killed, burned up, and his children were all dead. And his friends came and tried to comfort him, and all they did was make it worse. And he was really upset. But at the end of his morning time, at the end of this conversation with his friends, he ends up turning to God and he prays for his friends, even though he had every right to be mad at them about some of the stuff they said. Well, there must have been a reason this happened to you, right? You deserved it, and blah, 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 or just curse God. They said all these horrible things. And in the end, he was like, you don't understand the God I serve, and I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed for his friends. At the end of Job, it says that because Job prayed for his friends, God blessed him back double everything that was lost, including more children including double of his wealth, double of his cattle, double of his camels. It doesn't say because he was a good and honorable man, God gave him back double that he lost. It doesn't say that. It says because Job prayed for his friends. Why? Because he was emotionally wounded after being spiritually attacked by Satan, and he still walked in what God's fruit is, which is love. And he was kind to his friends, even though they didn't deserve it. And Jesus teaches us that here. 
It actually goes on. I know she probably won't have the scripture up there, but I love this. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does he mean by that? Anybody, whether you're a Christian or not, is kind to the people who are helping you out, right? You're, you're kind to your friends because you're kind to your friends, your friends are kind to you. What makes Christians different is we love even our enemies. What makes God perfect? He loves everybody. He lets the rain shine on the good and the bad. Why? Because he just loves mankind. He's good. Satan is the one that you do me a favor and then I'll make you feel, right, like you're getting something good out of it, which ultimately there's always a price when you're dealing with Satan. But God, on the other hand, wants to bless everyone, whether you deserve it or not. And so we are told, Jesus actually says in another passage when he's talking to disciples, I give you a new commandment, love one another, and when you do this, people will know you are my disciples. Why? Christianity changed the world literally. Before Christianity happened, orphans were cast out on the street. Has anybody ever watched the Disney movie of Aladdin? And Aladdin is like just a street rat. Street rat, blah, blah. Have you ever seen the movie? You know what I'm singing. Anyhow, when he's out there, he steals some food and he gives it to these kids that are orphaned on the street. Why were they on the street? Why were they not in an orphanage? Because there were no orphanages anywhere in the world. Christians developed those. There was not an orphanage until after Christ ascended up into heaven. Did you know that what the Romans would do with disabled children? They would throw them out in the wilderness and let the wolves eat them. There were some laws that said you couldn't even keep children that had anything wrong with them. Why? Because they wanted the Roman Empire to be full of strong people that can contribute. I'm not going to keep you in my house and let you, you can't contribute. You've got to work. Christians came around, and that's why it says true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Widows, they had nothing. If you didn't have a son, you were just distraught because your oldest son was responsible for taking care of you when your husband died. And if you didn't have a son, you would literally be out on the street because women didn't own property. They didn't have anything. It would then, the property and the house that she was living in, if there was no son to carry it on to, it would go off to the next cousin or the next nephew or the next person in line of the family. It wouldn't go on to the widow. The widow got nothing. And so Christianity came around and Jesus says, no, you want people to know that you're with me? Be kind. Walk in love. Be gentle. Have self-control. Love even your enemy. Love the person who is spitting in your face. When they slap your cheek, turn and let them slap the other cheek. Now, corporately, we see when, like, the government is, was coming after him, he would say, there's a time for a sword, there's a time to run and flee. But when it was personal and it was one-on-one, -on -one, he says, let them hit your cheek. Why? Because if it's somebody one-on-one, -on -one, you have a relationship with them, let them see that Christianity has put love in your heart and that even though they're trying to bully you and trying to tell you what to do, you're not going to react with hate. 
you're not going to be like Joseph's brothers. And so this was a new concept. This was hard. This doesn't necessarily happen all the time, right? We can say, I'm going to walk in love, and we maybe do it 50% of the time. But at least we're trying, and at least we're saying, this is what I want to do. This is the ideal I'm living up to. People who have no desire to walk in love and in Christ, they don't even try 50% of the time. What do you mean you just let them say that to you, Mary? You should have fired them, right? What do you mean this happened here? You, you, should, you should, you know, call the police on your neighbor. Why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. No, we're going to walk in love. And sometimes we have to put up boundaries. And sometimes we have to say, okay, this situation needs to stop because now this is not good anymore. This is harmful. But in some cases, the first response should be in love. And I think that when we have that one-on-one love first, it changes things. We see in Matthew, let's see here, that's Galatians. In Matthew 18, maybe, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, and in some of the verses it says sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, which that word back in the Greek when they first did this meant the group. So like if it's a work situation, you wouldn't necessarily go to your church and tell them. You might tell your boss, right? You might tell the group that you're a part of. It says, if they even refuse to listen to the group, treat them as though you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this might sound harsh when Jesus has told us to walk in love until you realize, how did Jesus teach, treat tax collectors? Oh, he went to their house and had dinner. Oh, oh, oh he'd, he'd offer them healing. He'd offer them love. But what's the difference with when he was at the tax collector's house versus when he was with Peter, James, and Andrew? He trusted them, and he let them in deep. He let them come with him to special things. The tax collector, he loved him, but he didn't necessarily tell him all of his deep stuff. So he's saying, look, if someone is sinning against you, first go to them, right? Because you love them, and you want good things for them. And tell them, hey, when you do this, it hurts me. Or when you tell everybody else my business, it makes me not want to trust you. And if that doesn't help, then, you know, if you have a few witnesses that have seen this person do it, maybe they're like, I don't do that to you. You take those witnesses, meaning they've witnessed the sin that you have been committing, the harm you have been doing against somebody, and you, have, you guys talk about it. If that still doesn't work and you've got this group of people, maybe it's your bowling team, right? And somebody keeps forgetting to pay their dues and you keep having to cover for them. Well, then bring it to everybody. And if they still don't listen, well... Love them, be kind to them, but don't trust them anymore. Don't bring them in to that deeper level. Maybe next time it's like, hey, you know, we love seeing you. We want to have pizza with you once in a while, but you're not part of the team anymore. Doesn't mean you have to be horrible to them. It just means that you're no longer bringing them in in that inner circle like he had with his disciples. He treated the tax collectors one way, but he treated his disciples a different way. And again, that's just a boundary, but that doesn't mean that you had hate in your heart. It just means that you addressed it. Now, in Galatians, let me 
see if I can find Galatians real quick. Oh, I'm, it's, it's time, isn't it? I'm, it's my last one, I promise. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we see how time helps us, right? But as the time goes and we begin to then respond and have to deal with situations, maybe we have to go back and, and inter- interact, we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love this because the whole book of Galatians is talking about the law and are we saved by doing the law? Are we saved by not doing the law? What are we supposed to do? And he says, look, you can act kind in any situation. It has nothing to do with the law. There is no law against this. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What a combination of sentences, right? Walk in the Spirit. Don't worry about laws and following the laws. There's no law. all this goodness out of you, and don't provoke each other. Don't envy each other. Don't become conceited. What is he saying? He's saying we know that there can be emotional wounds and reactions, and you can provoke even other people around you. Some people would argue Joseph, 17, and stupid. How many people were stupid when they were 17? I sure the heck was. Was provoking his brothers by saying, oh, look at my robe. If you knew he, they were jealous and envious, why in the world would you wear that robe when you're going out days from your father's home and it says they ripped that robe off of him? Dude, that's the day you keep the robe in the closet and you put on your servant's coat, the same one they wear. But he didn't. So some people could say he provoked them. Does that justify their behavior? No. But did it make it any better? No. So he shows up conceited. Ha, 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 I got a better robe than you do. And it caused them to be envious. Instead, what should his reaction have been? Kindness, love, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And how do I do all of that? Because that's really hard, Mary, with self-control. That's why self-control, I love that. It's the last one listed. Why? Because if you don't have self-control, you can't do all the previous ones. So are you going to be wounded? Absolutely. And how you respond to the fact that you've been wounded, it's going to either help you or it's going to help the people around you so they don't wound you any further. Does that mean that you can't ever deal with it? Absolutely not. But it means that when we deal with it, we're not dealing with it the same way the world deals with it. We're going to go beyond our emotions, beyond our feelings, and do what's right. I was just talking to Wesley the other day about integrity. I'm like, dude, do you know what integrity is? And he's like, no. I'm like, all right, we need to talk about integrity. Integrity means you do the right thing even if you don't feel like it. Your feelings are fickle. I always say feelings are like an out-of-control puppy who has no manners. And think about it. If you brought home t-bone steaks and you grilled them and you're sitting at your dining room table about to eat a t-bone do you let the puppy jump up on the table and eat your steak no you don't you pick up the puppy you give him maybe you're so mad you give him a swat on the bottom i'm not 
encouraging that. I'm just saying, you maybe you did. You put them down and you say, you don't have my steak, that's fine. You control the puppy, even though the puppy wants to eat your steak. Your emotions are an out-of-control puppy. And they want to eat the good thing. They want to poop on your floor. And they want to chew up your couch. And your feelings, if you let them rule you, will cause your wounds to be way worse and more infected than ever before. But if you can use some self-control, just like you would use some control to teach the puppy, don't chew on that, don't go potty in the house, don't eat the people food, stay off the table, you can train your emotions. And you can say, okay, this emotion is alerting me to something, but that doesn't mean I'm going to react to it. Right now, I'm going to walk in the fruits of the Spirit instead. And it's super hard, but Jesus wouldn't be telling us to respond with prayer, to respond with love, if it was impossible. So, let's pray that we are reminded of these things because we need help sometimes. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has been released to us when we believe in Jesus. We thank you so much that your spirit dwells in us. And we might not always realize it. We might not always call upon it. We might not always accept the gifts and the fruits that are offered to us. But Father God, we need to use those fruits. We need to walk in love. We need to be patient. We need to have some self-control and and joy and faithfulness and humility and gentleness and kindness. It's so hard when our emotions want us to scream and to yell and to fight back. So we ask you in the name of Jesus to help us walk in love. Help us to remember that we can say, Jesus, help me. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. And we give you permission this week to let your fruits of the Spirit just bubble up inside of us. Instead of angry words coming out of our mouth, we're going to have joyful words. We're going to have love come out of our mouth. We're going to have prayers come out. When somebody harms us, rather than responding with jealousy or envy or anger or hatred, we're going to try to say, Jesus, did you see this? That's your kid. You better take care of him because I'm about ready to do something I shouldn't be doing. And we're going to ask you to help us because, Father God, we need your help. Help us to walk out love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you all have a wonderful day. The Blessing Shop will be open. I bet Heather and Brady would love to go down there and hand out. Oh, oh, good. We do have somebody. Teresa, she's running down there. Teresa's down there. She is going to hand out some Blessing Shop items if you need it. And I will see you all next week for the block party. Make sure and invite your neighbors and friends and anyone you think that would enjoy that. Thank you so much. God bless.